I first got interested in doing a podcast on human trafficking about a year ago when I watched a documentary called The Clown and the Candyman. I knew about the clown, John Wayne Gacy, as I remember seeing law enforcement removing the remains of victims from his house near Chicago. But I had no idea who the Candyman was, Dean Carl, until I saw the documentary. Dean Carl was a serial killer from Houston, Texas. Now, what do these two serial killers have to do with human trafficking? Well, during one segment, um, they were interviewing two detectives from New Orleans about a Boy Scout troop, number 137. And this piqued my interest even more. Raymond Woodall and Richard Stanley Halverson had established a troop in the Big Easy for mostly wayward boys who were from single-parent homes. So when the detectives finally raided the home of Woodall, what they found was astounding. They discovered that men would come from all over the country. In fact, an unnamed prominent U.S. senator would fly in from D.C. and request a tour guide to see certain parts of the city. Woodall and Halverson would provide the guide for the senator when he came into town. So the two detectives, this was around the mid-70s when, they, when, they, uh, when all of this occurred, and the two detectives were also shown, when being you know, kind of during the documentary, in a room of Woodall's home which contained filing cabinets with index cards. And on these cards were information such as 12 years old, blonde hair, blue eyes, 130 pounds, 5 foot 2 inches tall. There were hundreds of these cards. And there were also cards on the clients themselves. Now, the detectives realized this was at least a national, if not international, crime and called in the FBI. So an agent flew in from D.C. and they led him to the room where he stayed for about an hour. Then he came out and said, I'll be back in a little while. Well, the two detectives commented that 40 years later, they're still waiting for him to return. The Boy Scout troop was clearly established as a front for human trafficking. And as I, as I mentioned, several prominent and very rich individuals were also eventually convicted and sent to prison. Um, one was from the Northeast, one was from Colorado, one was from Seattle. So they were from all over the country. It wasn't just gentlemen from New Orleans themselves. It, they, they flew in from all over. Um, so even though it was New Orleans... Uh, it, it, it piqued my interest again because I, I live an hour away in Baton Rouge and I never heard of this uh, Boy Scout troop or this event at all. Another example, although not one pertaining to human trafficking, is, is the story of Elizabeth Smart. Having also seen a documentary on her ordeal, I remember uh, there was a scene where her abductors had gone into Salt Lake City with Elizabeth and a policeman actually questioned one of the abductors because of the way they were dressed. Now, Elizabeth was less than five feet away from this policeman, and all she had to do was cry out, I am Elizabeth Smart, please help me. But she didn't, and she remained in captivity for some time after that. So I became curious as to how they actually brainwashed them so much, and her in particular, that she couldn't scream. 
And I think you'll find in the human trafficking uh, episodes that uh, some of these victims are right. They take them shopping. They'll take them in to eat. They'll take them to eat, and and they're right there. And they just they just they can't reach out to someone and say help me. Um, now I have heard that there are now you know potential codes of of kids that uh, if they are captured. Um, there are certain signs that they can give, and I can't verify that, but I've heard that. Um, but I do ask the question in the podcast to Father Bahi. So at some point during the last eight months, uh, my siblings and I were together, and I mentioned my desire to do a podcast on human trafficking. And my brother Taylor told me that his son-in-law's mother was on the board of an organization that helped victims of human trafficking, and did I want him to reach out to her. Absolutely, I certainly did, and he reached out to her, and then I began a dialogue with the executive director of the organization, which happened to be headquartered in California. Now, the executive director had mentioned to me that that my timing was pretty good because they were getting ready to have a fundraiser, and she asked if I'd like to participate, not necessarily for a contribution, but to understand the topic more. The fundraiser was virtual, but very enlightening. Um, I actually made contributions then. I mean, it, it just pulled at me, and I made contributions then, um, you know, basically for, for the survivors. And after the event, we spoke several times and had agreed we would have several survivors on with her during the podcast. Now, typically, I never give out the questions ahead of time on my podcast but felt due to the sensitive nature of the subject, I would do so this time. Eventually, we were moving towards a date and a time to record the podcast, and then I received notice from the executive director that the two survivors who were going to come on uh, were suddenly quite busy and would not be able to participate. Now, I have to be honest that I was a little bit disappointed, but understood. This again, the sensitivity of this, I have no doubt they did become busy. But it could have been, let's look at a later date. So at that point, we agreed that her story, although not one necessarily of human trafficking, and her knowledge would be great to have just her on the podcast. So we pretty much, again, set a date and a time. And then suddenly she, too, became too busy. And thus what I thought would be a, a great podcast on a very sensitive and touching subject suddenly became no more. Now, I reached out to her several more times and have never yet to this day heard back from her, and maybe it just became too sensitive. All she had to do was just say, you know, Kenny, I, I can't do this. I just I don't feel comfortable doing it. I mean, our conversations were this would be a great podcast that would really reach people and let them know about human trafficking, but it did not happen. Strangely, during Hurricane Ida, my sister Paige and her husband Frank came to stay with us, as their house was in the direct path of the storm, and they didn't want to be there while Ida was coming ashore and hitting. So it was during this stay that I mentioned my desire to still do a podcast on human trafficking and my disappointment with my previous experience. Paige then mentioned Father Jeff Bahe and Metanoia Manor, and would I like for her to reach out to him to see if he may want to you know, come on the podcast about human trafficking. Well, certainly I did, as I knew of Father Bahi, but not his relationship to human trafficking, and had never heard of Metanoia Manor. 
So she reached out and managed to put the two of us together, and after several lengthy conversations, we agreed to do the podcast. But Father Bai, he had given me some homework to do. He had spoken at the Vatican on this very subject, and I had to watch his presentation on YouTube before we went any further. Well, let me tell you, it was eye-opening. And once I had completed my assignment, we spoke again, and he asked me a question. Have you seen those commercials on TV for animal shelters? I told him yes, and they were gut-wrenching. You know, the ones where they show the dogs just freezing and starving and cold and just look emaciated. Um, He then proceeded to tell me that there are over 5,000 animal shelters within the United States and then asked me a question. Did I have any idea how many beds there were for juvenile victims of human trafficking in the United States? I can tell you, I was way, way off. But if you want to find out the actual number, you'll have to listen to the podcast. Again, after several conversations with Father Bahi, we agreed to meet at his office located near his church, St. John the Baptist in Zachary, Louisiana, where I also met Father Chuck Swanson, who was also involved in Metanoia Manor. It was after that meeting that we decided to move forward, and we agreed to record at Father Bahi's office. I think you'll find it fascinating, enlightening, and educational. People are trafficked for two primary reasons, labor and sex. And as for Metanoia Manor, you know, it's only for girls that have been rescued from the horrors of human trafficking. So we concentrate on the latter. Um, you hear a lot about at the border and so forth, that, you know, the, the human trafficking there. Most of that is for labor. Some is for sex, but most of that is for, for labor, where they, they become basically indentured servants, not even indentured servants. They become slaves, so to speak. Um, as many of you know, I also call, I use the term when, I, when I'm introducing my podcast, I, I use the term uncensored in the introduction of my podcast. And that was the case with this one as well. It is a three-part series, and I have to say in episode one, uh, Father Bahi had, suddenly had a coughing spell that I was not able to edit out because as Father, Father Bahi was having his basic spell, um, Father, I mean, Father Swanson was talking, and so if I cut out one mic, then you can't hear the other one as well. So I'm just asking you to bear with the first episode, to get through it. Um, it's, it's fascinating in itself uh, because it was very, very enlightening to me. But I'm asking you to just get past, you know, Father Bahi's coughing. I mean, he gets up and walks out, but... Um, you know, I, I just think the subject of human trafficking is, as most of us, we know very little about it. But the victims come from all spectrums of life, as you will hear. It's not just, you know, people in the ghetto or, or, or I mean, they come from, there is no uh, single demographic that, that human trafficking exists in. So I urge you to become more aware of this subject and also to consider getting involved through a donation, if not to Metanoia Manor, and I'm not pleading for that, but maybe there's a a shelter or a home near you. You could be in New York City. You could be in Chicago. You could be in Dallas. You could be in Jackson, Mississippi, or Portland, Oregon. If there's a place there, I'm urging you to consider uh, finding out about it and making a donation. 
um, because these survivors are scarred for life, but we can give them some hope. So I go back to the animal shelters and ask you to think next time you decide to donate to one of them because you've seen the commercial or you love pets and want to make a difference. I fully understand that. Uh, my daughter-in-law, Hillary, is very, she's a very big advocate of that. Um, she gives every year to the, to the animal shelter in Baton Rouge. But um, survivors of human trafficking are human beings, and they need our help now more than ever. So I urge you to really consider, after you've listened to these podcasts, I, I hope they move you. Um, I, I hope you learn a little bit more about human trafficking. There is still so much more that I need to, to, to know and can learn. I've been studying this now for, like I said, probably eight, nine months. And, and I just I, it's just a quest that, I, that I'm on. I probably will do another one down the road. But I do thank you for listening to the Freeman Report and, and, and love your comments. Really want your comments after the fact. Um, I, you know, criticism, whatever, I'm, I'm for it. But this is one that I think, you know, I've done some light ones and I've done some pretty heavy ones. But this is, this is different. And I really, I really thank you for listening.